Listener Production. Sarah Harris is the newest host of The Project, filling the shoes of Carrie Bickmore, who had been with the agenda-setting news show since its inception. Sarah Harris is no stranger to television, though. She previously hosted Studio 10 for nearly a decade and before that was a reporter for Channel 9 and for Channel 7. While thoroughly familiar with the spotlight, though, nothing could have prepared Sarah for the invasive attention and the really outdated criticism from some parts of the media of how she's balancing her new work and her family responsibilities. Sarah has joined me to talk about all that for the first time and more, of course, on The Weekend Briefing. Up next, Helen Smith will join me for The Weekend List where we recommend what to watch, see, eat, do and listen to this weekend. But first, here's my conversation with Sarah Harris. Sarah Harris, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Hello, it's so nice to see you, Jam. Where are you coming from? I am down on the Victorian South Coast and that sounds beautiful, except it hasn't stopped raining for four days. Oh no, but it's always better though when you're away from work and it's raining, right? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I feel like your own home is something you never describe as cosy, but when you're away, you get to be cosy and warm. That's the thing you can do. But you're not far away from me today. You're in in Melbourne. And that is a new thing for you because you've got an incredible new gig on the project, newish gig, and you're spending a whole lot more time down here. How is that going for you? It's been three months, if you can believe it. Actually, it's three months next month. It's been, it's felt like three years, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's, it's been a wild start to the show. Um, I, I feel like every day I'm finding my feet a little bit more because it's not just starting at a new school. It's also, you know, having to divide my life between Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, talk about the mum juggle. I have two little boys as well. So, look, it's, um, it, it, it's been a lot, but it's a show that it really challenges me and I really love doing it. I love sitting next to Waleed and Hamish um, and, you know, it's it's a great team to have around you. I love the being able to get your, your teeth stuck into media stories but also have a laugh. It's been a bit of a, a change going from morning TV, however, for a number of reasons and, first of all, having to switch my day around. I, you know, for the better part of 10 years, I've been getting up at quarter to five every morning and being on and performing from 8 a.m. And now 6.30, it's like I should be getting dinner on and going to bed. So that's been a bit of a, 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 a bit of a thing to get my head around. I wasn't, I actually wasn't prepared for how different switching my days would be and the impact it would have. Uh, for the first couple of months, I really felt like I was in a, a permanent state of jet lag, particularly since when you do the show at night, you need time to, to come down from it because it's it's adrenaline and, you know, it's fun and you're on a high after you walk off set and then you've got to slowly bring yourself back down to, to earth. Yeah, so you can actually sleep, right? Yeah, and I, and I wasn't for the first for the first couple of months. I was sort of up until sort of one in the morning and then still trying to get up at sort of 5.36 and then I went, okay, I'm really going to have to... <laughs> Relook at the way my schedule is set up because this is just not working for me. But I feel like now teething problems have been ironed out, and now we're on the we're on the home home run. Now we can do it. 
I love it. Tell me what it's been like starting a new show because it's not like you're a newcomer to television in any way. You've been in this career for a long time. You've had many years on Studio 10. You're used to the idea of doing television every day and the kind of high wire act Mm -hmm. that is live television where anything can happen. But I imagine there are still some nerves in in a transition. What were you feeling when you got the job and and that first night on the project desk as host? Oh, all the nerves. Definitely a a fair whack of imposter syndrome as well. It's interesting because um, I'd done Studio 10 for such a long time. I'd I'd been on the show at the helm of it and I started that show um, back in 2013. So it was almost like second nature. It was just something that... I could do as easily as breathing. And I think sometimes that can be dangerous because you do fall into a little bit of complacency. But um, I mean, obviously over the years, there were there were certainly uh, big changes to the show that kept me on my toes. But I think once you do something for a really long time, um, you, you do get a little bit too comfortable. So it's um, yeah. coming to a, I mean, a, a huge brand like The Project and stepping into the enormous shoes of someone like Carrie Bickmore, who is much loved and for good reason. She's just such a great chick. But also, this was her show. This was her baby. She started this show. And it was kind of like I was stepping away from the show I'd started to take over um, a show that was started by, you know, another woman. And it was, it was, you kind of approach it with trepidation. Not that I felt like I was going to be compared, but... I just didn't want to ruin her show. <laughs> I mean, this is something that, you know, for 13 years she'd built up. And to be honest, she was one of the first people who called me after the, um, you know, the news was starting to trickle out that I'd, I'd um, got the job. But it's a Logie Award-winning show. And, um, yeah, it's that whole thing of, am I going to be okay? You know, are people going to like me? Um, am I going to be smart enough to do this show? It is like starting at a new school. It really is. And it's funny because I actually moved schools quite a bit growing up. And, you know, I was I was pretty good at adapting. I can be a bit of a chameleon like that. Um, but I, I feel like now more and more, it's, I feel like it's my chair now and I'm earning it every single day. Um, still not there yet, but um, I feel like I'm yeah, I'm earning it every day. Yeah, and there has been a big change up in the look and the and the feel of the show mm. because you're not the only newcomer. Waleed is still there though. And I want yeah. to ask, has Waleed Ali given you some good advice? Like has he been has he been the school prefect looking after you and showing you around the corridors and where you can eat your lunch and where the cool kids hang out? Oh, that and more. This guy, it's it's funny because uh, you know, he He's been a colleague of sorts for a good 10 years. Um, you know, I've sat next to him a few times on the panel before I got the full-time job, but we hadn't spent any um, kind of huge amount of time together. And it was about three months before um, the big changes were announced and that they were even looking for a host that Waleed and I were in Canberra for a, um, oh, I think it was a free TV event. And we spent some time together and I thought, this guy, he's he's got a, he's got a depth and a warmth about him that I hadn't actually seen. It. You don't see it until you're really up close. And he has been so beautiful. In fact, when I first arrived, he said to me, you know, we're your family in Melbourne now. Anything you need, please let us know. He, I've been around to his house with, you know, 
um, him, him and his beautiful wife, uh, Susan, half a dozen times. The guy can't bend over backwards enough for both me and Sam because we're both the new kids um, on the show and that makes such a difference. When I first started out in TV, you know, I've sat on all sorts of different panels and, you know, it makes a massive difference who you sit next to. And I've, I've sat on panels where it's felt like you're at a dinner party and the hosts are fighting and there's a frosty edge and it doesn't bring out the best in anyone. It makes people feel awkward and uncomfortable. Nothing flies, nothing sparks, nothing gels. And I remember when I was kind of going through that period thinking I'm never... If I ever get to be a host in my own right, I'm, I'm never going to be that host. I'm always going to make people on the panel feel comfy. And I really hope I do that. I, I certainly did that on Studio 10. And I feel like after paying it forward, it's coming back with Waleed because, yeah, he has made what has been a really huge transition, not just professionally, but personally for me as well. It was a really big decision for me um, to upend my life and, and take on this exciting new show, but it didn't come without some big hesitations. I'm a mum with little kids and it was something I really had to think long and hard about. But having Waleed next to me and, you know, having him, you know, hold my metaphorical hand has been just the best. Take us through that decision-making process because I think we've all had our moments in our lives that perhaps don't revolve around being the host of a major television show, <laughs> but we've all made big decisions about yeah. our work and family lives and how they're going to intersect. And it's always going to be tricky because ambition and time with family don't necessarily sit comfortably together. And for women, I think there's even more pressure. How did you weigh up that big choice mm. uh, when you were offered this incredible chance? Well, interestingly, um, when Carrie had announced that she was leaving, I no one said anything to me. And I had been doing um, various uh, sit-downs and features ahead of uh, the Women's Weekly Christmas special. And, you know, I was actually asked point blank by a bunch of different journos, is this the job you want? And I'd not been approached. And I thought, oh, well, they must have someone else in mind. And I went, no, I'm actually... I'm actually good. I'm really happy with the way my kids are. I'm I'm a mum who loves the mundaneness of motherhood as well. Like I I really love making lunches and going to school sport and all the boring stuff. I actually really love that. Um, I love that part of being a mum. I love being with my boys. So I was kind of like when Carrie said, look, it was just it was too hard for me not seeing my kids at the other end of the day. I got it. And I was like, yeah, good on you, girl. And had said so in um, in a number of interviews. And then um, it was all very cloak and dagger. The next minute I was being offered the job and I actually said to my, my manager, I don't think I can take the job. I can't because of the kids. And she actually said to me, well, you know, they've got a dad as well. And... I, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind to think like that. I went, yeah, okay, all right. I might go home and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Tom. Um, Tom and I are separated. We have been for a few years, but we've got a great co-parenting relationship, which I think makes it so much easier on everyone. Nonetheless, that is a big conversation. That's a hard conversation to have no matter what. It's a huge conversation, massive conversation and a complicated conversation. Um, and he actually said to me after I, you know, 
gave him the spiel, but also listed all my all of my concerns. He said to me, you know what, if it was me being offered this job, we would not even be having this conversation. And I went, and I went, you're right, we wouldn't. And it was interesting because, well, I'm 42 this year and it, it really wasn't until I was offered this job that I went, ah, this is what they mean by women can't have it all. And that comes with a caveat. You can have it all, but not you can't really have it all at the same time. I think Quinton Bryce said that when she was governor of Queensland. And um, she, you know, she'd said, things are going to be sacrificed. If you want a big television career, you know, you probably can't be dropping your kids off five days a week and then picking them up from school five days a week. You're going to have to make sacrifices. And I thought about the other sacrifices that, you know, other working women have to make um, who, you know, are going back to 14-hour nursing shifts where they're on their feet because they've got to pay the bills or teachers or cleaners or whatever who all also have to bargain with some of their family time in order to not just pay the, pay the bills. I think it's more than that. It actually gives me something as well and I enjoy it and I feel like I am a much better mum when I've got something else happening in my own life as well because I am a bit all or nothing and I feel like if I just had the kids, I would just be all into the kids. And it's, uh, for me, I don't think that's quite so healthy. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a tough decision. It was a really tough decision to make. And certainly, you know, the first couple of months, I'd go home and cry in my hotel room all alone and wish I was tucking my, my kids into bed. But now I've got a bit of a routine in that I get to drop the kids off on a Monday and a Friday before I leave and when I get back to Sydney. Um, and I'm so strict on um, my time with the kids and, and not being contactable. My phone is on do not disturb and I'm, I am so present during those times. And yeah, it's, I, I tell you though, Jamila, there's a lot of times where I feel like I'm failing at both ends <laughs> of the spectrum. Like you're not quite doing your job well, you're not quite doing motherhood thing well, but you know, you just kind of, you make it up as you go along, as everyone does, right? No one's kind of nailing it all the time. No, and I think if anyone says they are, they're probably lying. And <laughs> uh, I certainly don't have the travel demands in my job, but I do have to travel a lot for work. And I noticed maybe six months ago that I would be having conversations with my son before I'd be heading off for a few days, a week, whatever it was. And, and he'd be saying, do you have to go... And I would automatically go to this place of talking about money. And I'd say, yeah, mum, mum does have to go to work. I've got, I've got to earn a living. And you know, that's how we yeah. earn money, mum and dad to pay for things and swimming lessons or whatever it might be. Mm. And I've started pulling myself up on that because I don't want to give him that message because yes, it's work. And I work because I want to earn a living, but I also work because I love my work and I don't have to go. I also want to go. It's not like I'm making a terrible sacrifice. And I want him to know. It's important for me that he knows that I will miss him. 
but I'm also going to have a great time when I go there. And I don't want to lie about that. And, and how important is that as well? Because you've got beautiful Rafi. Um, you know, it's really important as the mum of boys to to see that mum works as well and she loves what she does. It was interesting when um, Gladys Berejiklian was Premier of New South Wales, when she was doing the daily COVID briefings. She was obviously always on the TV. And um, Paul, my He's now seven, but at the time he was five. He's like, oh, she's, she's the boss of the state, isn't she? I said, yeah, she is. He said, who do you think's tougher, boys or girls? I'm like, oh, who do you think? And he's like, well, I would say that we've got the boss of our state as a woman. And, you know, mum, you do lots of work as well. So I think women are pretty strong. And I'm like, yes, have nailed the mother brief. Well done. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's showing them something different. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and it doesn't hurt your heart, and that it's not a, a constant juggle where you're kind of moving time around and pinching time from them to give to work and pinching time to work for, to give to them. So, But that's what life is, right? It's constantly trying to find that balance at all times. And sometimes it does get a bit out of whack and you have to go, right, stop, take a breath. Where do I need to balance things out a bit more? Um, but I feel like day by day, I'm getting there. It's a work in progress. I feel like part of that, without taking away from the fact that you're, what you're doing is tricky, but it, it's part of parenting. I yeah. remember when Ruffy was little and I would be home night after night and I would feel like the world had gotten very, very small, you know, the mm. size of his bedroom and I'd be up breastfeeding and feeling very yeah. alone and dreaming about being yeah. anywhere else in the world, anywhere else in life. And then when he was about 18 months old, I took a trip to New York and I was only, I'd only been there a few days. And I remember being on this rooftop balcony with a cocktail in hand and all these great people around and just sobbing because all I wanted was to be at home with, with this baby and thinking, what is wrong with me? I've spent 18 months just wanting to get out of there. And now I'm here and all I want is to be back. And the reality is that you never get it all at once. Well, yeah, and you also, it's its trying to, like we all give up something a little bit when you become a parent, but also we have our, our own dreams as well. And, you, and I think if you don't chase that and you don't kind of keep your dreams there, um, you get resentful. And... Well, I do at least. I get resentful, and I, I and I knew that if I if I had turned this job down and didn't give it a crack, I would have been regretting my decision for the rest of my life. And I don't like doing life with regrets, you know. Um, I like having a crack at things. I like giving things a go, and you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I don't want to name some of the judgy media who have said rude things about about you and other high-profile women who oh, yeah. have to work mm. and uh, do great work and that means that necessarily they don't spend every waking moment with their kids. I don't want to give them the airtime, but I do want to know how you manage that, how you manage rude articles about you spending a few nights away from home each week. It's funny because this is going to sound really strange, but... Because I already kind of felt guilty for leaving my boys, I almost felt um, uh, like just really fragile and that 
if any if any comment kind of landed, I felt it, even though it's not true. But it was almost like the bully in my head was there going, "See, told you, told you, you you were wrong to to, to take this job." Um, but I just think that's my the bully that I constantly have to fight to keep quiet because we've all got one in in our heads. That sucked. That article actually. Um, I think I was lumped in um, with. Beautiful Carrie Bigmore, Jackie O, Lee Sales. And look, hey, it was great to be mentioned in an article alongside those those women. I know. It's like, what a cool girl group. I'd love to be part of that. But it, it just felt super unfair. And it also, it's like Sarah has, uh, you know, left her children for this, you know, and, and her partner for this big new job. Well, no, I'd only started the job a month ago and I'd separated three years prior to that. And... I just thought, what a, what an odd bow, an awfully long bow to draw from not knowing anything about anyone's circumstances. Th- those sorts of comments as well, you know, come from the most unlikely places. I mean, I had another quite young progressive woman say to me, so where are, where are your kids? And I'm like, oh, where are they? I, I don't know. Where are they? They're with their dad. I, I didn't realise how much that how annoyed I'd get when, when she asked me, but it's like, come on, you should know this, <laughs> you know? Uh, you, and it's just, I think that they're really long held um, beliefs about the roles of men and women that, uh, you know, I'm still dismantling within my own mind. Um, so, and, and it's, it took me a long time to kind of get my head around it before, you know, taking the step up and, and, and taking this enormous opportunity to host the project next to a lead. So when I first got the, this job, in fact, um, beautiful Tess, the um, the PR superstar who um, is, is with me for this interview now, she told me this beautiful story um, about her mum having to work on the mainland. They lived in Tasmania and she, she was away just 10 days a fortnight at one point. And she said that she became closer to her mum than ever and that her mum was still there and she loved her mum, loves her mum so much still. So it was nice to hear those sorts of stories as well because the guilt is heavy. The guilt is very heavy to carry. <laughs> we're all carrying some kind of parent guilt, right? Some version of it. Uh, as women, we were, we were socialised. It's still reinforced mm-hmm. by, by the press all the time. Everyone's parent guilt shaped hole is a little bit different, mm. but it's inside of you and it goes with you. My, my particular guilt is that my son doesn't have siblings and that mm. is something I am never going to let go. Mm-hmm. And when I dig into it with my friends who are only children and friends who have only children and they will tell me my life is great, my childhood was great, there was no one else around to suck up the attention. And so I start asking myself, why am I doing this? Why am I beating myself up for my son not having siblings when I, he can't escape that, I can't escape it. And yet I can't escape the guilt and the doubt that's involved. And so much of that is about what the media puts on people and what the media puts on women. And I am excited that because we now have more women like you in the media in powerful positions who are shaping the conversation that you can not only show us how it's done, but you can also start shifting the way those stories are told so that we're all able to interpret those stories in a way that's a little kinder to ourselves. Interestingly, we um, we spoke to um, uh, Dominic Perrottet when he was still Premier um, on the show and he 
quite famously has seven children. And we were doing an interview with him and he was actually, he was quite fun and quite open and we were kind of joking around because um, we were asking him questions about his kids and we sort of said to him, you know, um, do you hate being asked these questions as, as a father with, with seven children? Do you hate being asked these questions? You know, it's the sort of question that women would never be asked. There are sacrifices that every working parent has to make. And I think it's probably exemplified when it comes to women, but I think some men are feeling it as well. And I think it's good when they feel it because then they have empathy for us. And then hopefully that, that load can be shared a little bit better. I love that. Normalising the complexity and normalising it for anyone who's apart from the people they love for the various reasons that exist. We're all just trying our best. We are all just trying our best, that's for sure. Sarah, someone who is not just trying their best, but doing their best uh, is you. You are doing such an incredible job on the project. I was there just the other week and you are an absolute natural. It feels like you have been behind that desk for years. You totally belong, totally belong on set. I want to thank you so much for being on the weekend briefing today and good luck. We will keep watching. Oh, come and play on the panel again soon. I love sitting next to you. That's it for my conversation with Sarah Harris. What a thoroughly delightful human being. You can catch her on weeknights and also on Sunday nights on The Project on Channel 10. But don't go away because Helen Smith is jumping into the hot seat and we're bringing you The Weekend List. It is weekend list time and Helen Smith and I have got a whole bunch of recommendations for you folks and I want to apologise for not being here last week when I'd lost my voice and say thank you very much for Helen for carrying the heavy weight of recommendations upon her shoulders, which she did very impressively. Helen, now you have to turn around and do it all again. What have you got for us this week? Thanks, Jam. So this week I have a TV show. I have Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story, which I binged over the weekend. And oh my God, it was so good. I'm just obsessed. I loved it so much. The love story, I'm so, like, I love a good love story. And it's just, oh, it was just everything I needed. But I was very naughty. I binged the whole thing when I should have been doing uni work. But I am now in love with the actor who plays King George. He is just beautiful and I'm obsessed like every other person on the internet. So that is my rec this week, Queen Charlotte on Netflix. There is reason they wanted me. Why me? Charlotte, but there are worse fates than marrying the King of England. Mm. Hello, my lady. Are you in need of assistance of some kind? If you must know, I'm trying to climb over the garden wall. Whatever for? You refuse to help a lady in distress. I refuse when she's trying to go over a wall so that she does not have to marry me. Hello, Charlotte. Your Majesty. To you, I'm George. I love that the juggernaut of Bridgerton is already getting prequels. It's already getting prequels and it's really only just started. It's had like, what, two seasons of the actual show and we're already going back for prequels. Just shows you how many people are still watching and still loving that show. It has captured hearts and minds in a big way. Folks, I also have a TV to recommend because when you've been sick in bed for a week, you watch a lot of TV. And so I very quickly binged my way through a whole season of Ginny and Georgia. I don't know if you remember this one, folks. It's just come back again. Uh, It's on Stan and season two picks up where we left off with season one quite a while ago though, but season one was on a massive cliffhanger. So it's all about, uh, it's a bit of a mother and daughter routine, a bit of a Safi and Edwina 
situation where daughter has previously been very sensible, straight A student, and mum has very much not been, uh, very much the opposite. But as we've learned more and more about Ginny and Georgia's lives, we learned the backstory of what has been going on with Georgia. And we realized that actually she has a pretty dark and complex past. And we left off a season one at a really big revelation. It's very hard to talk about this one, folks, without spoiling it for you. Uh, But if you love a bit of mother-daughter relationships being played out on screen, there's also a bit of teen drama because it focuses on Ginny's life at high school as well, but also Georgia's life fitting into a new town. Uh, There was such good complexity to that last season. I thought it was sort of all light and fluffy. And then the intrigue and the criminal activity and the past of uh, the people involved starts to come to the fore. And there's more of that in season two. I really found season two was just more of the same in the best possible way. I was a different person when I moved here. I didn't have a future before, a career, real friends. I know things have been tense. You embezzled funds and then threatened me. And I apologize for that. No, actually you didn't. Nick, I'm very sorry. Uh, My second rec is actually from a podcast that you recommended a few weeks ago, Jam, the Mamma Mia podcast, But Are You Happy? And it's the episode with Flex Mommy. And it was such a good episode. I listened to Flex on her other podcasts quite a lot. And I just think she's such a powerhouse. And it was quite refreshing and kind of grounding to hear about such a successful person and someone that I just adore. Just talk about fear and talk about real, you know, things that everyone deals with every day in such a open way. And I just love that episode so much. And yeah, if you can definitely check that one out. That podcast has been a surprise and delight. I have really uh, enjoyed a whole bunch of their episodes and I love anything with Flex Mommy in it. Absolutely. Folks, prepare yourselves for this next recommendation. It's not a classic recommendation. Uh, but it is budget week. We've come to the end, a very big week in this country when it comes to thinking about our economy, our country's finances, what our priorities are and what we want to spend money on moving forward. And we've heard from the government. And I just want to give you a piece of information that I found absolutely mind-blowing, which is a piece of research from the Australia Institute that's just been released. And I'm sending you off to look at a graph Everyone, I'm sending you off to look at a graph. So I want you to search on your phone. That's going to be the easiest way to do it. Australia Institute and Inequality on Steroids. And what you're going to see is a graph that shows that while our country has been getting richer for a long time, the way that Australia shares our prosperity has become increasingly unfair. And I want you to have a look at it because I think a lot of us like to celebrate the idea of Australians being really egalitarian. And, you know, we saw the the crowning of of Prince Charles. Oh, God, he's the king now. King Charles uh, just recently as well. And, you know, you saw all the pomp and ceremony and class stuff there and you kind of go, oh, thank God, you know, Australians aren't like that. That's how the way we, we like to think about it. It's actually just not true. We're not as egalitarian as we used to be. So I'm going to give you this fact. Between 1950 and 1960, so... That's the era my parents were born in. They would want you to know they were born at the very end of that era. So when my parents were born, 4% of economic growth was shared amongst the wealthiest 10% of Australians. So 4% shared by the wealthiest 10%. 
leaving 96% for everyone else. That sounds about right to me. Then between 1982 and 1990, which is when I was born, 48% of economic growth was shared amongst the wealthiest 10% of people. So almost half went to the wealthiest 10%. And then in the most recent period, which we have figures for 2009 to 2019, which is when my son was born, 93% of economic growth is shared between the richest 10% and 7% is left for everyone else. And that absolutely blew me away. I knew we were a country that was becoming less equal, but I don't think I realised quite the full extent. And I know a whole lot of you will be doing it tough right now. I know a whole lot of you will have friends and family who are doing it tough right now because the rising cost of living is, is tricky. And if you're wondering what's going on and why it just feels so hard sometimes, maybe that's part of the answer. That's it for the weekend briefing and for the weekend list. I want to thank you so much for keeping us company again. It's so lovely to be back. Thank you for your grace while I was off sick. If you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, the best thing to do is to go and download the listener app and you can find the briefing there and follow us or you can follow or subscribe wherever you get the briefing podcast. We would love it if you left us a lovely review, five stars, please. Uh, You could also leave us a comment or something kind. It would absolutely matter make our day. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning where the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.